a lot of brands in food and drink, they're always just racing. They're kind of burning the house down to grow in order to be bought by another company. And I don't think that that's our method. We kind of want to grow sustainably. We want to grow ethically, you know, just see where this sort of journey takes us. Save the planet and make it heal. You can help by eating a vegan meal. Come join us if you're vegan curious. Hi, my name's Ashley. And I'm Sarah. And together we are Vegan Vegan Curious. Hi everyone, welcome to the episode two of series three of Vegan Curious. Thank you for listening and thank you for all the the kind comments we got from the first episode, which was our Veganuary special. So um, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. Um, But today we have a very packed show, don't we, Sarah? We do. We're going to be very, very busy. Um, obviously, it's still Veganuary, which is great because it's like vegan Christmas. Um, and we have a huge amount to talk about. So, Ash, tell us what we've got coming up. Well, the first thing is actually the Veganuary backlash because there has been a bit of a backlash. So the meat industry is kicking off. There's a lot of stuff around Oatly. So we're going to be talking about that. Um, we're also going to be talking about lab processed meat. So would you eat lab processed meat, Sarah Collins? Uh, yeah, I, I I have said that I would before, so yes, I will. Okay, a lot of people wouldn't, a lot of vegans wouldn't, but it's very big news and there's a brand new book out called Moose Law, which is all about what they're calling the new agrarian revolution. So we've got a little mini review of that. Um, and then there's just the usual stuff, what we've been scoffing. There's uh, that um, Michelin star restaurant, uh, went to a vegan restaurant in the south of France, so we'll have a look at that. Um and uh, we didn't we didn't go to a vegan restaurant in the south of well, france no obviously in my dream maybe i went to that but uh you know we're going to be talking about that um but firstly is that in time on tradition uh sarah let's talk about what we've been scoffing this is going to be quite a busy segment um for this episode i'm afraid because i've been eating a lot of things um so i i i think i should go first because You've been eating loads of stuff, and I've just been eating like jacket potatoes and broccoli. Oh, that's so depressing. Why? You want a health kick? <sighs> well, I'm just trying. I'm, you know, obviously, I'm not out as much as I'd like to be, so I'm trying to be healthy. So, um, but I have the one thing actually that I have been eating <laughs> is um, Magnum. Uh, Magnum have brought out a new vegan version, um, which is salted caramel, which I absolutely love the. Uh, the almond version, which I think is fantastic, but the salted caramel completely tops it. It's really, really good. Have you tried it, Sarah Collins? I actually have, and I agree. It is. Um, I think it's probably better than the other two because there are two. There's a plain one, isn't there, and an, and an almond That's one, right, like you yeah. say. Um, and it is delicious. It, honestly, that the vegan Magnum products are one of one of the things that I would say that they taste as good, if not better, than the ones with dairy. And why wouldn't you have vegan magnums i don't know um but yeah they are delicious so you've just been eating broccoli jacket potatoes um and then a a magnum for dessert that sounds like a pretty well-balanced diet to me um well there is one other thing i'll just say i'm going to give a plug to muddy puddle which is my local vegan vegetarian it's mainly vegan restaurant so they do this amazing burrito which has got like uh, tempeh in it and chickpeas and lots of broccoli so i've had a couple of those as well but yeah my 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 diet's been pretty boring this week so what about you though well i've been trying all of the things that veganuary has to offer so um 
I'm going to rattle through some of them um, and I'm going to give them a score out of 10. Why not? Okay. We don't need to do this, but, you know, it's, there's a lot of things to get through. And then at the end, I've got a, just a really quick little taste test, um, something that I thought I'd try live on the show. Um, wow. So, number one, Higgity. Uh, as we know very well, uh, Higgity do some really, really great products. And this Veganuary, they have brought out some new quiches. Um, so I have been trying their spinach and tomato quiche. Um, they also have a mushroom one out now as well and some of their mini uh no pork pies and i have to say that it's been a, it's been a long time since i've had quiche um it all sounds a little bit kind of 90s naughty prawn cocktail um type thing doesn't it like your quiche rain um on a sunday afternoon but it's kind of reignited my little love affair with quiche that i used to have when i was a teenager um Honestly, really delicious. A great, uh, like I know it sounds bizarre, but I it was just a really, really nice alternative to having a pie or you know something else that just was kind of quite like full of pastry and bloatings, and it makes you feel bloated and stuff. This quiche was quite light and airy and just de- delicious, and oh um, made with when made with like oat milk and um, oh, okay. that type of thing. So actually, not not bad for you at all, and and there's no nasties in there either. So I would give that a firm nine out of ten. Um, I also have been trying some of the new Huel products. So, Ash, do you, do you know Huel? Have you had their stuff before? Huel? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, I have, actually. I had a bit of a fad when I was on them quite a lot. But, yeah, so which ones have you, have you been trying? So, they Huel are known for their um, shakes, right, their meal replacement shakes. But um, they've now launched some savoury versions, and it's kind of like a bowl of grains, um, it still comes in powder form, um, but you you stick it in with some boiling water and you know let it sit for five minutes, and then it kind of it, it's almost like a sort of little stew, if you like. Um, and you know, like all fuel products, doesn't look very nice, um, but actually tastes pretty damn good, um, much better than the shake versions, to be honest. So I had two, two flavors. One of them was Thai green curry, and the other one was a Madras. Um, I can really, really recommend the Madras one. The Thai green curry had a slightly sort of different strange, sort of slightly soapy flavour, which I think might be the coriander in it, essentially. Um, so I probably wouldn't go for that one again, but I would definitely go for the Madras one. And it's just easy and simple and convenient. Um, so I would give that one a six or a seven out of ten. Um, I've also been naughtily trying some some other treats in addition to the magnums my gosh i really have been eating a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of junk food this veganuary um but i've tried another new ice cream um i don't think it's new in general but it's new to me so it's called raw r-o-a-r mm-hmm. and they make a hemp seed chocolate brownie um ice cream and it is Ooh, honest, honestly, yeah, I know. it is honestly one of the most delicious vegan ice creams I've ever tried I think probably second only to Jude's vegan ice cream which is amazing um so that I'll give that 10 out of 10 and then also I tried just roll cinnamon swirls so these are ones that you just get out of a packet and you stick them in the oven and then they make these incredible cinnamon pastries um which are they sort of accidentally vegan they're yes. not like designed, you know, they just have, because don't they do like croissants and stuff like that as well? They do, yeah. I think it is accidentally vegan, yeah, exactly. Just in the same way that you might get an apple strudel and it might be vegan. Um, they don't make a big fuss about it on the pack or anything like that. But 
um i was really impressed by those i thought they were they were great um nice little treat to have um, in the morning or at the end of a meal or whatever so probably give those a, a five out of ten just because um pastry is not really my thing but it was uh it was great to try something different um and finally i've been trying some popcorn oh yeah which, as you may or may not know is one of my favorite foodstuffs of all time i mean if i was left to my own devices i would literally sit there and eat popcorn and drink red red wine and i'd be really happy um so this this new range of popcorn is by uh, popcorn shed who i hadn't heard of before um, but it's a bit of a new discovery on me and they do um this sounds a bit strange but sort of mini popcorn so small smaller bits of popcorn that don't get stuck in your teeth um and they also do them in a variety of flavors so there's butterscotch um and kind of more traditional um salted flavor and a kind of sweet and salted so i've tried a few different ones and actually i've got one in front of me here which is a white truffle flavored popcorn are you going to try this live then? Is this the, the, going to be the crunch live? I think so. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to going to open it and rustle the bag. Please excuse me. Um, oh, they really they're quite pungent. Um, how do you feel about the idea of white truffle popcorn, Ash? Sounds That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, what can you say? <laughs> okay. Um, I you know I you know I had there's some white truffle crisps around. I think maybe I can't okay. remember who does them, but um. But again, they are so pungent, you know. Oh my gosh! Honestly, I, I I just put it close to my nose, and it's really pungent. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pop it in my mouth and see what happens. Oh, okay. So it is it is actually really nice. The, the 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 smell of it is nothing like the taste. The taste is much milder. So if you can get past the smell when you open the bag, um, then I'd really recommend those. And I have to say that their butterscotch popcorn is something else it's unreal um i would definitely give that a nine out of ten so get yourself some popcorn shed guys it's really delicious um especially if you're someone that doesn't like getting the bits of popcorn stuck between your gums like i am so yeah get yourself uh some some popcorn shed and try any of these other host of veganuary goodies um because uh i've been i've been making my way through them even if ashley hasn't yeah, I know. I definitely need to uh, catch up next week, don't I? You really do. You really do. Okay, next up, we are going to be talking about what we're curious about this week. And I think we have three uh, wonderful stories to excite our listeners. Ashley, tell us a little bit about them. Well, um, well, the first one is basically about a vegan restaurant that is the first ever to get a Michelin star. Uh, and then coming up after that, we're going to be talking about the vegan backlash. So obviously veganuary, um, but the meat and dairy industry is obviously, you know, training its guns on the vegans, metaphorically, obviously. Uh, and then the, the third thing is um, we talk about Oatly. Uh, Oatly's obviously uh, issued some rather controversial ads and has wound a few people up. So, um, Sarah. Have you ever eaten in a Michelin starred restaurant? Uh, I have. I have not a vegan one though, um, which obviously now exists. From what you're saying, well, yeah. Well, you wouldn't have done because you know they only got the Michelin star this week. But there, there's a restaurant in Southwest France. It's called Ona, which stands for Origine Non Animal, uh, and it's near the town of. Oh, stop sniggering at my French accent. 
my ancestors were French, don't you know? Uh, it's in the town of R A R E S near Bordeaux, and it's run by a woman called Claire Vallée. And I mean, it's, she's quite an interesting story. I think that originally she tried to get investment for the restaurant, and a lot of people, you know, the people, traditional kind of. Um, People who back restaurants were saying, oh, you know, vegan restaurant in southwest France, that's, you know, good luck with that, love, you know, and um, were quite condescending, quite patronising to her. But if you read her Instagram message, it's just fantastic. And, you know, she obviously persevered with it. She found the right people. Um, She's obviously a brilliant chef and she's doing some amazing things. And um, one day when we're allowed to travel again, I would love to go there. Oh, yes, that sounds amazing. Oh, fantastic. I'm so pleased to hear that the there is finally a Michelin-starred vegan restaurant. Um, I reckon that will ruffle some feathers in the uh, in the restaurant industry. So um, it's good to good to see. Um, what have we got coming up next? Even more ruffled feathers. Well, yeah. So there's like, you know, obviously Veganuary has been great and lots of people talking about vegans, but inevitably there's been a backlash. Um, so one of the things that's happened is uh, an organisation called the Agriculture and Horticulture Development Board, known as AHDB, have been running ads in like uh, Metro and, and other places with ads of like, you know, eat a balanced diet to B12 or not to B12. Um, and they're basically claiming that B12 is not naturally present in a vegan diet and basically saying, obviously, you need to eat meat and dairy to get uh, B12 because it, it doesn't exist in the vegan diet naturally. This is obviously has wound a lot of people up, and including Dale Vint. Well, it is ridiculous. And Dale Vint is the founder of Ecotricity and you'll know him as a kind of vegan activist. And so he started a campaign and got a petition going, basically saying they're talking all manner of nonsense and there's loads of ways. I mean, Marmite being a classic example, it's you get vitamin B12 in tempeh, it's in mushrooms. Um, and he also takes, uh, you know, look at kind of how B12 isn't actually, you know, some of the, the, the B12 that's supposedly in animals kind of um you know animals naturally acquire b12 from grazing because it yeah. comes from the back in the soil however because they're raised intensively that you know they have to be fed it as a supplement because they're deprived of natural sources of b12 so anyway so that's all kicking off but i mean the ads are you know a little bit a bit sucky and i mean i i went on the agricultural and horticulture development board site and they're obviously going to be pushing what they claim as eat balanced so i you know with other ads in the future so it's going to be uh i think that's going to be one to watch in an ongoing way yeah well they're obviously um i suppose waking up to the fact that um veganuary in particular is um really increase the profile of of vegan food and and obviously they know that people are voting with their wallets as well and um, picking more plant-based food so it will be interesting to see what comes of that and how that develops um but uh something else that we're curious about this week the final thing that we're curious about this week if you like is actually on the flip side of that so um in the pro uh, veganuary and pro vegan camp um we obviously have oatly which is um as most people will know um the kind of best selling um oat based plant milk brand um they ha- are well known for their kind of big ad campaigns and the way that they communicate and stuff um is uh, actually you know within kind of 
the uh, industry, I suppose that they communicate far better than than a lot of other brands, and they're quite charming, and um, people kind of enjoy looking at their ads, and they're very aesthetic, um, and mostly people have been very very supportive of them so far um particularly amongst the vegan community but they have got a little bit of backlash recently um and this is no different so they have launched a new series of ads called help dad uh which is based on the insight i guess that dads find it difficult to stick with um non-dairy alternatives um so for listeners that haven't heard that ad um effectively it plays on uh this idea of um a dad coming home in the middle of the night um taking the stuff from his shopping bag uh looking a little bit guilty as he does so popping it in the fridge and then his uh his son i assume catching him in the act um and asking him uh what he thinks he's doing as if he's kind of busted him in uh, by doing doing something you know very naughty and against what he what he should be doing um but the reason that the backlash has taken place is because people are saying that it makes light of um addiction and kind of alcoholism in particular um so they have actually been getting quite a lot of heat about it online um and it has caused a bit of a stink um and in fact ash i think it's something that you've been covering this week haven't you um what are your thoughts on it yeah, well, okay, let, let's hear a quick bit of the ad, actually, because then people can decide for themselves. What have we here? Cow's milk. Really? Yeah, so only, I think, are at a really interesting point. So... They are, in business terms, they announced this week they're about to launch their IPO. So that basically is when they open up and anyone can go and buy shares and they become a public company. So, you know, know, it's obviously a big moment for the founders and, you know, they stand probably to become very rich very quickly and, and the company will get loads of investment and it's a really important moment. But at the same time, there is a little bit of a feeling that even though they've been mega successful, they haven't always taken their kind of hardcore vegan supporters with them. So it's, you know, vegans who pushed them, to begin with and who you know but at the same time as time has gone by um i think people have realized actually they're just a business i guess like a lot of other businesses so in last year for example they got a load of money from a company called blackstone uh, which is a private equity firm um and the founder stephen schwartzman um, is being made of Trump's, for example, and backed Trump in his election campaign. There's just other things as well. You know, they're taking money from China. Obviously, you know, Chinese records on human rights isn't great. So there are lots of reasons people have got, I think, to be a little bit suspicious of them. Um, but and also, I think as well, you know, they they want to be perceived as a company that's kind of pushing it and i think that's one of the reasons why they've done these ads is kind of again you know really kind of being controversial and in your face um mm. personally <laughs> i i think the ad's fine i haven't got a problem with it um yeah. i don't know what do you think i i i think that um you know it, it, almost anything in 
in this day and age offends some people. Um, and I also think that they um, probably did it knowing that it might potentially offend some some of their kind of, I suppose, core activists, activist loyalists in terms of their fans. Um, but they know that they're targeting the mainstream. And I think the thing is, is that the the, the whole idea of kind of people that are trying to, to become more sustainable and be more plant-based, but are kind of slipping back into their old ways probably resonates with quite a lot of people. Um, and the vast majority of people that are buying their milk are probably not completely vegan. So I think that they know exactly what they're doing. I would imagine that... Um, more people knew who they were um, after the Blackstone kind of controversy um, as well earlier on last year than did before. So I think they're just kind of building up momentum and building awareness. But no, I I wasn't I wasn't particularly offended by it. I mean, it's um, it, it's one of those things. They they chose to take a certain creative route, um, and I think that the, the I mean the fact that they they targeted ad, uh, dads in particular. Um, was something that struck me as a bit strange, to be honest. Well, I mean, but I think it's quite interesting because I think that you know, you know, you look at the assumption that you know, that veganism is most prevalent amongst, for want of a better word, younger members, younger millennials, and Generation Z, and that's where the demographic is, and that's where you know the people are becoming vegans, you know, through veganuary. That's where they are, and those some of those people, you know, are probably teenagers late teens may still be living at home with their parents and you know i think that they, they recognize that that's the next push isn't it you know you, you've got one demographic but you know you need to be going after new demographics so good luck to them good luck i think you know just getting back to the china thing as well so people didn't used to drink a great deal of cow's milk in china but it's really starting to catch on now um so th- the fact that oatly's out there and is pushing oat milk is it's just great in my opinion really and i mean you know it's kind of one of those things it's like i think it's a dilemma and we we talk about this with Stuart forsyth of minor figures you know coming up in a minute that just it's very hard for growing vegan brands to find completely clean sources of investment but i'd rather they took the money and grew and became more mainstream and you know saved more animal lives and and you know stopped climate change surely that's better than just being some small company that's just basically serving a few uh a few vegans in in islington and bristol and brighton and edinburgh don't you think sarah I do. I love that you went on a really passionate rant about that. I have to say that I do really agree with you. Um, I, I think you, you've um, articulated it perfectly. I think there is no such thing as perfection. Um, it is unattainable for any brand to achieve a completely perfect um, record across all of the things that you know brands are being measured against these days. But I would much rather have them doing an IPO and them being successful rather than some fracking company. Um, so I personally completely agree. Uh, and I think it's it's great that they're doing more more TV ads because more people will find out about them, more people will buy them and uh, the, the more the more it will grow. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Power to Oatly. Yeah. OK. Um, now, the other big thing this week was I did actually go to a book launch, obviously a virtual one, but it's a book called Moo's Law. So have you heard of Moo's Law? No, I haven't. No. What's it all about? Okay, so Moose Law, their subtitle is An Investor's Guide to the New Agrarian Revolution. And it's by a guy called Jim Mellon. 
And, um, you know, we may or may not get into interview him at, at some point. Um, but the book is fascinating because it's the first time anyone's looked in any depth at the kind of lab process meat world. So if you think about, you know, much of what's happened in the last two years or three years, plant-based food, you know, it's all been around, you know, companies like Beyond and Impossible. And, you know, they're still using basically pea protein or soy or those kind of things. Um, the lab process stuff is basically the stuff when they, they take cells from the DNA of an animal or a fish and then they grow them in, uh, you know, in, in labs. And then, you know, basically using uh, like systems which are very complex but explained i guess in a very kind of uh simple way a little bit like craft brewing type thing then they just kind of grow this meat or this kind of fake uh fish or whatever so at the moment we're a really interesting point and this book captures that it talks about um how in you know where this has come from why investors are really really excited about it and at the same time um, how it might develop in the future. And, you know, it, it's just really interesting, I guess. You know, we look at uh, people eating meat now and it, our perspective is driven, I think, from a kind of ethical view that, you know, we don't want animals to be harmed. We wish people would just eat more vegetables. There's a health view and there's a climate change view. Whereas this book is, you know, it, it basically says all those things are right and that's good and they're good arguments for veganism. But it also says, actually, do you know what? You know, the the meat market in, in the cross, the kind of global value of it is about $5 trillion US dollars, which is basically the same, same size as the British economy. So there's a huge market there and it's totally inefficient. It's totally, you know, bad for people's health bad for the environment all that it really does need to be changed so it's a really great book in that it kind of goes through some of the arguments it takes you through the technology and then highlights the companies that are working to kind of change these, these things and at the launch actually it's quite interesting there's a company called blue nalu who i'd never heard of before actually but they're an american company based in san diego um and they are they've just announced they've got like a load of investment which is great but they're aiming to get lab processed fish products. So like a bluefish tuna type thing on plates in US restaurants, a limited number by the end of this year. So just to give you some context, there's only there's only one place in the world you can go now in the, at the moment and walk into a restaurant and buy lab processed meat. And that's actually um, chicken, lab processed chicken in Singapore restaurants. So for it to potentially be in the US is a massive, massive step. So yeah, the company called Blue Nalu. Blue and um, yeah, it's just a really, really exciting time. Um, and yeah, as I say, the, the arguments about lab processed food, I think going to run and run. And you know, you've got both sides, you've got vegans who won't eat them because because whatever way you look at it the dna is taken ultimately from animals whether they're harmed that's a moot point you know i would say not but some people would say well okay it's still an animal product and yet at the same time you've got the meat industry and the backlash that's inevitably going to come from them but i definitely recommend this book the guy called is called jim mellon uh as i say it's moves law and investor's guide to the new agrarian revolution and well worth a bit of your your time reading it Right, it's time for our uh, 
interview for this week. Um, so, Ashley, who is our guest today? So we're really excited to have Stuart Forsyth. Uh, he's the CEO slash co-founder of Minor Figures. They're a company that probably best known, I think, for well, two things, coffee, but also their oat milk, which, you know, is increasingly becoming very, very popular. Um, and he's going to explain a little bit more about the background of the company, how you make oat milk um, and where they, they're going to go in the future. So if you're regular listeners to Vegan Curious, you'll know that my favourite milk is oat milk. So I like oat milk very much like the taste. But I also like the simplicity of it, the fact that probably of all the oat milks, it's probably the best for the environment too. And in terms of my favourite type of oat milk, I'm going to go with Minor Figures. Woohoo! And the reason you're hearing woohoo is we're really excited to have Stuart, who's one of the founders of Minor Figures, on the, on the podcast today. Um... And as I say, one of the reasons why I really, really like it is I think most of the oats and most of the ingredients come from the UK. Now, unless you're going to tell me you ship them in from Azerbaijan or somewhere, is is that the case, Stuart? <laughs> no, most of the oats come, well, they come from all of Western Europe, to be, to be clear, um, but uh-huh. a good percentage do come from the UK indeed. Okay, so it you know, you're a mainly British thing, which obviously you're not British, but... Uh, um, but yeah, so it's a mainly British. I'm British absolutely thing. imported. I mean, nothing's from <laughs> nothing's from anywhere these days. I'm imported from Australia, from Melbourne. Uh, the absolutely. products made the products made in the UK, and the oats come. Yeah, we we have to get a selection from all over Western Europe. So it just depends on the harvest, the season, the, the pricing, all sorts of things. Uh, okay, so instantly picking up on the fact you say you're from Melbourne. So um, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't know about you is obviously Melbourne was and probably still is the coffee capital of the world. Um, and also, uh, you weren't originally a milk brand, were you? You were a coffee brand originally. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, a couple of things there. So Melbourne uh, certainly has a sort of preeminent coffee culture, um, and, and I would say Australia and, and New Zealand as well. Let's throw the Kiwis in the mix. They certainly exported sort of a cafe style, which has been adopted mm-hmm. all around the world on a flat white, you know, like you couldn't get one of those in London when I arrived. And now since probably five years ago, you get one in Greg's. So it's it's certainly come a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of being a preeminent city, I'd say even London now is is pretty exciting. There's, there's, there's plenty happening in coffee across the world. So we have... Um, Melbourne people will still come here and try and tell you that Melbourne's the best, but I certainly think there's probably some more exciting things happening in this town than, than in others. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of minor figures, we still really are a, a coffee company. I mean, my background has always been in and around coffee um, as a cafe um, owner, as a barista, as a roaster, as you know, worked across the spectrum of um, the, the cafe and coffee channel. And um, we really started Minor Figures to create a really nice iced coffee was was the original plan. And mm-hmm. um, in the background, we were sort of working on an oat milk that went into it because we didn't want to use dairy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, oat milk was just having its sort of ascendancy at the time. And as soon as we saw that, we you know, traditional plant milks don't work in coffee very well. So as soon as we, we, we got onto oat, it was... Um, it, it felt like the right thing. It was all green lights for us. So we developed it in the background specifically for our, our ready-to-drink cans for, for mm-hmm. our, for our, to mix with our own coffee, uh, and we almost released it as a one-liter, almost as an afterthought. Sure. So when was this? When, when was this? Three, four years ago? It was about uh, just 
on three years ago. We would have launched okay. the. We would have launched. So what we did to, to give a bit of background, we were a brand that produced uh, cold brew and, and iced coffee. Um, at the time, we were sort of growing, and it was it was a it was a bit strange what we were doing because our products were were then in a tetra pack. Mm-hmm. Then we when we finally got our oat milk to the standard that we wanted, which took a little bit of time, we had a chance to kind of reformat our identity and also change it from tetra pack to the cans in our RTD. Obviously, the one liters are still a tetra pack, but yeah. we 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 got a chance to almost reset the entire identity in one go. So it was actually quite fortunate because, you know, it's very hard to to, to reset or to to um, rebrand or however you want to say it. And we got it we got to do it all at once at a time when we were about to fly. And as soon as we sort of rebranded, uh, obviously uh, with pretty well-known and really well sort of identifiable sort of style, super quality product, and, and then the plant-based product, space the vegan space just began to explode pretty soon after like i think the timing uh-huh. was just super fortunate it, it certainly was i mean the did you um so you're saying basically the reason you went with oat was it worked best with coffee but i mean did you consider other types of like alternative milks you know you know was there experience we with soil coconut? yeah we flirted we flirted with a few of those um ultimately like <clears throat> what happens is um Coffee is quite a tricky thing. It's obviously very acidic. So anytime, anytime you put an alternative milk into it, um, it will split, curdle, it won't steam. There's a lot of limitations for what people expect in their cappuccino or their flat white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, to make it work, you then need to add to your almond or coconut or whatever it is, so you add, need to add a ton of additives to sort of hold it together to stop it splitting. So... Um, Oat naturally blends quite well, so that's the, that's the one of the advantages of it is you don't need to add a lot of stabilizers and gums and additives to oat milk to make it work in coffee, mm-hmm. um, and and therefore naturally you'll get a better cup of coffee because you're going to get more of the coffee flavor, less sort of muddied by you know sort of strange flavors. Mm-hmm. So um, talk us a bit through what how was the production process then. So is it is it you say it's mainly in the UK? I mean, you know, have you got a you know is there a factory? What's the process? How do you actually make the milk? Well, there's a couple of parts. We we have a factory, our own minor figures factory, where we handle a lot of the coffee and it's a lot of the components. Now we quickly with the milk outgrew our own production, so we outsource and we have contract packed all of our products. Um, we are, you know, we're in three countries. We have um, an office in America, or we, at least we're based in LA. We've got an office here in London and an office in Melbourne. Um, so there's three founders and one of the business partners is down there. So um, we actually are producing the product as of next month in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. We produce it, contract packet here in the UK, um, and uh, and we, we ship it to the States currently, but we will look to make it there. Now, the process to make oat milk's um, not the same as you would at home. Essentially, you get the oats, you mill it into flour, you hydrolyze it with enzymes. So what you do is you turn the starches into um, sugar and effectively make a syrup. And from that syrup, you can then make the milk. Okay. And then what do you do with the, with the semi-milk? You've just launched semi-milk uh, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. haven't you? Huh? How, you know, what, what's the difference there and why did you do that? Well, one of the things for minor figures is is tricky that we are um, obviously, again, first and foremost in coffee. So the product has to work in coffee. And when you 
we believe we have the best product to put into a into a cup. Gives you the cleanest coffee flavor, the most fidelity of your of your coffee, the the, cl- the clearest expression of your natural characteristics of your espresso. That's how we define the best milk to blend into your coffee, and that's what Minor Figures does. So it's very hard to go into other milks, other ingredients, because they just don't work as good. So at, at present, at least, and this this may change, but at present, certainly oat works very well. And all of our products are barista products. So that's the other part about minor figures being coffee. We don't make anything that's not barista. So we we have a regular, we have an organic, and then we've just launched the semi now. The semi comes in as um, probably the one negative of oat, if I was to sort of be overly critical. And I don't think it's as, you know anything, any problems, but is the sugar content. As I said, you hydrolyze the starches to, to create um, the syrup. So... Uh, reducing that or finding a way to get the sugars down which is the point of the semi it has less fat as well but um that might be interesting for a particular demographic mm-hmm. uh, you know it, i mean it's interesting as well because uh, although obviously you've optimized your your milk to working coffee it does actually work really well in tea as well absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um so do you have any like demographic information on who's buying your milk i mean you mentioned the fact that you know you had the kind of vegan surge of three years ago i mean do you, do you have any idea you know what percentage of people are buying a vegan are they young or old or you know who are the who who are the minor figures fans look i mean i think um we appeal to tons of different people i mean obviously the idea of plant-based products is is so expanded beyond the sort of tight-knit vegan community, which is such a positive step for look mm. animals, for health, for, for the planet. Like there's so many good things for that. So I don't think, I think the demographic's expanding all the time with, with who's interested and who's trying it and who likes it. Um, for us, obviously, if you know our brand identity, it is it skews very young. So you sort of millennial, um, sort of digitally engaged uh, you know, it actually, in terms of our social media following, skews more female. So, um, and it depends region to region because we're actually at different speeds in different markets. So, um, look, I would suggest that our product is should, you know, our product's very tongue in cheek. It's it's very slick. It's quite fun. It's very anti corporate. It's kind of anti authoritarian. Mm. It's it's a lot of nice things. And again, with the quality being so high, there's I guess, I guess we could say, we, you know, the, the sky's the limit for who would enjoy it. But, okay, which brings us on to a really interesting question, actually, in terms of how you might see the, the future. So if you grow, you know, obviously a lot of people are probably knocking on your door, investors offering money. But, you know, as Oatly discovered recently, um, some investors come with baggage. So with Oatly, one of their investors was found to have close links with Trump. So some of the hardcore vegan fans who'd been you know, promoting them originally threw their hands up with horror and, and they're probably drinking minor figures at the moment, actually. But um, so how do you see, you know, as, as yourself, you know, as, as an ethical company, which, you know, you've got commitments to keep the company carbon neutral. How do you see taking minor figures to the next level? Um, you know, and, uh, you know, what, and, and, you know, do you have kind of, uh, an idea of what type of money and what money you would take, or are you just, you know, you know, are, or, 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 you know, are you going to plow a, a kind of different route? Uh, it's it's such a good and important question, particularly in in this day and age. Businesses become very open 
um, things you wouldn't talk about or you wouldn't touch or you wouldn't allow people to know, you're now forced to. People are just so interested in in um, ethics and, and how the business operates and very knowledgeable about these things too. So you're very open in that regard. So in terms of specifically raising money or getting investors in, uh, it's, I mean, obviously now we're going to look very, very hard at who, who we partner with. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things, and to use a sort of Taleb, a, a writer that I quite like, comment, the good thing about the plant-based space is it seems to be very anti-fragile, which means that it, it actually grows robustness from some people making mistakes. And not to, not to mention the other brand or anything that happened, but once that happens and, and there's a response, then brands like us, and even if you're in, you know, meat analogs or you're in other vegan products, we'll see that and then they will choose a different path. So, so from these sort of learnings and, you know, we've had our own um, you, you begin to build these guardrails up, which strengthens the whole category and, and sort of moves it in the right direction. So um, it's a perennial question. I, the, the third part to that is what's the end game really? And, and I don't think Minor Figures has worked ours out. But sure. at present, I believe that we are so early in unpacking exactly what Minor Figures is that ideally we'd like to stay independent. Mm-hmm. That would be really important. I mean, a lot of brands in food and drink, they're always just sort of racing. They're kind of burning the house down to grow in order to be bought by another company. And I don't think that that's our method. We kind of want to grow sustainably. We want to uh, grow ethically and, you know, just see where this sort of journey takes us. Yeah, yeah. So um, you, you mentioned your international expansion earlier in the you know the states, and obviously you're in Australia. Um, do you have more plans to you know for other territories? I mean, like for example, Europe. Um, is there any impact Brexit might have on your business as well? Yeah, Brexit's a bit of a doozy. <laughs> um, look, ultimately, you know, it seems very counterintuitive Brexit in a, in a time when everyone should be connecting and getting together. I don't really have an opinion on whether it's going to be good, bad, or indifferent long term. You know, people with opinions tend not to be smart enough on this. Like this is so it's so enmeshed, all the different implications. In the short term, yeah, we're going to have pain as many people will, um, which is not going to be pleasant, and I wish it wasn't so. But um, long term, it's hard to say. And, uh, yes, Europe's an interesting one. I think um, we probably will begin to uh, make moves in Europe soon. I mean, we always had Australia as one of our, um, because my partner was there, that was one of the key areas. And then the US became another key area. And uh, I guess we've gone, for a small brand, we've gone broad rather than deep. And if you're an entrepreneur listening, I kind of don't recommend that as a a strategy. Um, Multi-market is super complicated rather than single market. Uh, There's there's a whole heap of headaches that come along with it. And we we were kind of forced to do it. We we built our strategy on that. So we we didn't know it going in, but now we are looking to drill deeper. So, you know, we have launches happening. We just launched in Morrison's in the UK. Um, We have a few other big launches happening in the UK, which is really good. Um, Australia's same, so we're trying to drill deeper into the into the AU market. I mean, we've barely scratched the surface, and the US is 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 in its infancy. I mean, it's uh-huh. that would barely be considered a startup. Sure. And so, uh, 
you know, I guess my final question would be, uh, yeah, is there any plans that you have for the future? Are there any plans you have for the future that you could share with us now? Um, look, I think ultimately one of the things and the reason why it kind of relates to the, the point before uh, around wanting to stay independent is because we, if you do know our brand and you do know our graphic identity and, and you, you've sort of seen us on Instagram with this very sort of energetic and messy approach to things. Minor figures is really unique in that it's 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 really authentic, or at least um, it is. In tr- it's hard to say you're trying to be authentic, isn't it? But it is as authentic mm. as you possibly can get, sure. and and we get a lot of energy and and and, and we the employees and, and everyone in the business right through the business can respond to this very well. And one of the things that probably gets to what's happening next is is that we we just want to stay really creative um so i would suggest that in terms of product launches yes there'll be new product launches coming out and we may be looking to get into different areas in the in the in the future but really from a from an identity point of view i would suggest that once we sort of get get back to you know getting outside once it's socially politically permissible to hug each other again um (laughs) we'll probably do a lot of fun stuff and and i think that that you know we kind of had it all in the pipe and now it's sort of all a bit backed up and we're we're like a coiled spring sort of ready to launch so there's going to be tons of like really exciting activations and and again we kind of will be not only creating them but also watching to see see what happens and where that goes and how that works Mm. and can that springboard us into something new and i think i think that's the exciting thing for us in the future Mm. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Stu. Uh, by the way, in case you didn't know, you do multipacks, don't you? You can order them directly from you yep. of milk and coffee. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of bundle deals online. If you check us out at minorfigures.com, then um, you can see we also run some subscription services as well for people that want to get it direct to the door. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much. Thanks, Ashley. Appreciate your time. And that's it for another episode of Vegan Curious. Thank you for uh, coming along, having a listen. um, And please do share uh, the the podcast if you've enjoyed it. Um, We are available on all of your podcast platforms. So whether that's uh, Apple or Google or Stitcher or SoundCloud, um, we are there for you. Um, So if you do uh, like what we've been saying, then please do give us a share. We're also on social media um, at So Vegan Curious on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And we hope to catch up with you all soon. Bye. Save the planet and make it heal. You can help by eating a vegan meal. Come join us if you're vegan curious. No animals in your meals. Nothing tastes as good as being vegan feels. Come join us if you're vegan curious And don't feel sad, don't feel blue So it ain't so bad, I swear it's true Just use the right condiments And you'll even like tofu Don't be furious Just be vegan curious Life is good Life is sweet When on your plate There is no meat 
Come join us if you're vegan curious. Come join us if you're vegan curious.